Hello, and welcome to the DC Insider Employer Update Podcast. This podcast updates you with the expertise and current insight of the Washington, D.C.-based attorneys from the Fortney Scott Law Firm. Each episode highlights the most important issues and analysis that employers need to know in order to understand and react to key federal developments affecting their business. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as legal advice on any subject matter. Now let's turn it over to our host, David Fortney. Hi, everybody. This is David Fortney. Welcome to another podcast. I've got both Bert and Nita with me again today. Hi, David. Hi, Nita. Glad to be here. Hi, David. About to talk about the exciting vaccine mandates. Boy, I'll say. I mean, the world really for federal contractors kind of shifted, didn't it, on September 9th when President Biden uh, made an announcement in which he has imposed a series of very rigorous vaccine mandates for federal contractors. So what we want to do today is really spend a little bit of time, because I think there's a lot of confusion about federal contractors, what their new obligations are going to be, coupled with this new OSHA obligation, as well as state obligations, all this is swirling around. So let's really look at this whole series of developments uh, with respect to primarily the federal contractor lay of the land. So Nita, can you unpack this a little bit for us? Let's start with some of the foundational requirements that are there for federal workers, federal contractors, and this new OSHA requirement. Sure, David. Let's go back to the point you made about September 9th, when President Biden issued his path out of the pandemic. One of the six components of that, one of the prongs, was vaccinating the unvaccinated. First, federal employees. There's an executive order there to be vaccinated by November 22nd. Shock, shock. There's already a litigation over that. Second, federal contractor executive order. We're going to talk about the Safer Federal Workforce Task Force, which provided guidance. And we're going to talk about that in detail in a minute. Next, the OSHA Emergency Temporary Standard, or ETS, for employers who have more than 100 or more employees, fully vaccinated or test negative weekly. And finally, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid are going to have a standard vaccination requirement for healthcare settings that receive Medicare or Medicaid reimbursements. And so, David, that is kind of where we kick this off. Okay. So we have this sort of swirl of of new obligations coming on. Let's hone in on federal contractors. So let's kind of look at the world through that prism from that perspective, because heck of a lot of employers in this country are federal contractors. So we need to unpack what are going to be a new series of obligations that they will be facing. Let's first start with who's going to be covered of the federal contractor workforce. And what we have, you mentioned that there, the, the president has issued an executive order, and now we have the guidance from the task force that has begun to spell this out. So some of these details are beginning to fill in, and this is what we know as of this point. First, it's going to be all full and part-time employees of a covered contractor. We'll talk a little bit in a minute about what is a covered contractor. And it's going to apply to any employee that is working either on or in connection with the covered contract or at a federal workplace, federal site where the obligations are in place. 
The obligation is one that is quite rigorous. It says that you have to be fully vaccinated. And the deadline for that is for services commencing on and after December 8th. There's only very narrow exceptions to the vaccination requirement. And that is for employees that are entitled to an accommodation, either a medical accommodation or a religious accommodation. David, let me pick up on that because one of the most uh, expansive part of the EO and of the guidance is uh, just to defining who's covered, who's an employee that's considered performing work in connection with a covered contract. And this is quite different from past practice and quite different from other EOs and other guidances. It now includes any employee of a covered contractor that performs duties necessary to the performance of that contract, including even those who do not directly engage in performing the specific work called for by the contract. And the guidance makes clear what they mean, such as human resources, billing, and legal review. So it's everyone in the back room. And as I said, this is a significant expansion from prior coverage for provisions, even the one in the executive order on minimum wage of just last month. So uh, usually it's a kind of 20%. Now it's if you're on the contract and working for a covered contractor. They actually expanded the workplace itself. They defined the covered contractor workplace where people are doing work on or in connection with the contract. So I think that's how they expanded the number of people to be covered by this. When you say expand the coverage where the work is performed, that includes Nita all the way out to including people working from home. Correct. Is that correct? That is so correct. That is major. And I think a lot of people were surprised at that. So it's not only people that are going on to federal sites or working in conjunction with others in performing work, but now we have anyone who's working virtually from home, uh, even if they're not in contact with anyone else, if they're either working on or in connection with that contract. And as Bert explained, that in connection with very broad, all those, I call those corporate services, headquarters services that support a variety of corporate efforts. As a practical matter, the first federal contract that a large company receives will mean that their entire corporate staff all those that are working in connection with will also have to be covered and come into compliance with this vaccine requirement. And I think the next thing, David, is really, and the question I know we're getting from clients is, when is this going into effect? Now, we, you mentioned and we talked about it's December the 8th or after, but that really means that you've got to have a contract clause for this to go into effect. There has to be a contract clause that goes into new contracts, some kind of modification, extensions, renewal. So possibly December the 8th is only the beginning of when this is going to start to roll out. And I think that's going to be really interesting to see how they play that, especially since they're encouraging current contracts, they want the agencies to add the clause at this point to get people vaccinated. Nita, let me just jump in on that because the guidance and the executive order make clear when you put them together that when options or extensions, purchase orders and so forth come in under existing contracts, when those starting October 15th, they're going to be picked up and they're going to include these new clauses that we're talking about, these new obligations. For new contract awards beginning on November 14th, these provisions are going to be included. 
And then, as you mentioned, for the far as the services, any service provided on or after December 8th, those personnel, those employees are going to have to be fully vaccinated. And let me add, uh, that's not the limit of the coverage. Every contract, uh, every major contract has subcontractors. And this vaccine mandate clause also is a flow down provision so that all covered contractors must flow down to their subcontractors this vaccine mandate clause, even though they have no obligation to verify that the subcontractors comply, which is an interesting way of shifting the burden because it's a significant burden all the way down the contract chain. Right, and it applies to all tiers of subcontracting, right, Bert? Absolutely, all the way down to the people that make the widgets at the very bottom, and we'll talk about products are excluded, but it's supposed to flow all the way down. So we've talked about the new contracts and new purchase orders and the dates for those, but the order goes even further and says that for existing contracts or contracts that are outside of scope, those contracting officers, which by the way, I did a little research on this, there are approximately 50,000 contracting officers in the employee of the federal government. Those 50,000 contracting officers have been, to use the president's words, strongly encouraged to seek modification, early openers, to have the clause inserted now. So even if your contract isn't up for renewal for six months, you can expect the contracting officer will be knocking on the door saying, hey, what about an early opener for the convenience of the government? And if I can just add, people who administer contracts know that one of their first obligations is to stay on the good side of your CO, your contracting officer. So this jawboning provision of urging uncovered contractors to comply with the basic mandates is quite significant and will probably be adhered to. I was just going to say, I just had a question from a client. They don't have a contract reopener until 2026. So they said, well, we don't have to vaccinate. And I'm thinking, uh, maybe that's not quite how this works. That's right. Because that contract officer, when it says, for the convenience of the federal government, will you please now add this to our contract? I, and I think we're going to see that pretty rapidly later this year. Well, Bert, all of this business about now you got to be vaccinated. How do we figure out what does that mean exactly? Yeah. What paperwork? I mean, it's a government contract. There's always paperwork. What are we looking for on that? Yeah, I call this uh, who's been vaxxed and how do you know? And the guidance gives us some guidance. Uh, covered contractors are required to review the actual verification of your being vaccinated, whether it's that little paper card or whether it's in a, a, a digital format, there has to be actual ocular proof that you've been vaccinated. Now, mind you, you may not have to keep that record, but once you know someone's been vaccinated, I urge you to regard that information as medical information and keep it as you would any other health record. There's some other interesting variations on this theme that are different from prior EOs. For example, attestation, that is to say, I was vaccinated, I swear to it, that's not gonna fly, that is not acceptable. An antibody test, that is not acceptable. That is not proof of vaccination. And even if you've had COVID-19, that is not provide you an exemption from getting vaccinated because there's no way for an employer to verify that you've actually had this disease 
or another. The important thing about that, Bert, really is the fact that this is a big change from the July standard that was rolled out for federal workers and on-site federal contractor employees where they were supposed to carry an attestation around with them saying they had been vaccinated. So I believe that's one of the reasons we got these statements in this guidance. Well, Nita, what about how these protocols, these safety protocols are supposed to be administered? I think the guidance has started to at least shed some light on that. I know our clients are trying to think about, okay, I've got these new obligations. What, how do I implement? What am I supposed to be doing? I think there's two really interesting things, David, and I'll be interested to see what you guys think about it. One, there's no obligation by the covered contractors to determine the vaccination status of people that come in, whether visitors, uh, vendors, and that type of thing. They only have to post signage and say, you have to wear a mask because we're in a high state of vaccination issues here. And that's all their requirements, social distancing and masks. And I think that's a really big deal. And and David, how is that going to affect contractors with the flow down? Well, the flow down, I mean, this is, most of this, frankly, isn't really good news for contractors. I actually think this is a good news item. If you simply put these requirements, put the clause that the FAR Council is going to give us into your subsequent contracts, your subcontracts, the what we call a flow down clause, that's it. At that point, as Bird indicated before, the subcontractors are directly held accountable. As long as you have put the clause in to bind them, to impose that as a condition, it is then between the federal government and the subcontractor whether they've complied. David, that may be a piece of good news, but let me be the bearer of some bad news because There's a significant ambiguity and a significant burden on contractors regarding visitors. A covered contractor is required to ensure that all individuals, including employees and visitors, wear masks and observe social distancing, get this, in areas of higher substantial community transmission as determined by the CDC. Currently, that's like 95% of the country but the obligation is on the covered contractor to impose, first off, to learn the information and then to impose this obligation on all individuals that come within their space if you're in essentially 95% of the United States. Right, so this raises, and we keep hearing these stories in the news about what I call the, the mask police, you know, in retail settings and a variety of settings where uh, flight attendants are instructing people comply please put your mask on, and they're literally being physically punched out or, or worse. And so these issues, the I call it the masking wars, are potentially going to erupt even more so. And the other thing is, is that this particular guidance makes it very difficult for you to segregate. For example, you have commercial people and they don't do any government contracts, they make it very difficult for you to segregate them and say they aren't also covered by these vaccine and masking mandates, which at the highest level do not allow people to take their masks off except to eat or in an office with a door. And with the door closed, presumably. Yeah, I think that's right. Well, Bert, let me turn to you and ask about One of the other questions that people are beginning to focus on, which is, okay, you have all these contractor obligations. How does that fit with other existing obligations? We've got state laws. 
We're talking OSHA is going to do its own emergency temporary standard that, as Nita explained, where does the contractor obligation fit vis-a-vis these other requirements? I think this is perhaps the most controversial aspect of this guidance. The task force guidance states that it overrides any contrary state or local law or ordinance. In a sense, it is saying that the federal supremacy clause somehow attaches to this guidance. In the past, in my understanding, supremacy clause only applies to laws enacted by Congress. But we're in this odd world of federal contractor law. You know, you don't have to be a contractor. It's a choice. And the traditional rule so far has been if you choose to be a contractor, you do things the way we say, and that's it. But I have a feeling that this is going to be a very controversial provision and one that will be tested because there are already state laws, Montana, for example, that prohibits vaccine mandates. So who trumps who and how is going to be a big issue that's going to be litigated going forward. At least that's what I think. Well, and then, of course, you have some states where the laws are actually more demanding. And I think the guidance makes clear, at least for those, they're not superseded or set aside. So contractors, it isn't that you just have to look at the new contractor obligations. You also have to take into account any additional state or sometimes city or local requirements that are more rigorous because the guidance envisions that you have to comply with all of it. I view the federal contractor guidance as being sort of a, I call it a minimum wage concept. And just like states and localities can impose higher requirements, the same appears to be true. That seems to be the scheme that we're going to be facing uh, for this. Well, one of the other things I thought about, you know, just in terms of how they fit is OSHA, uh, the OSHA standard. And of course, they, in the guidance, they, again, try to head off what the challenges may be. And they say, well, of course, contractors, you still must comply with the OSHA standard, the not yet issued OSHA standard, that emergency temporary standard, as well as the contractor obligations, as well as any state or local obligations that are more protective. So the layering up of requirements and fitting all those together, I think is going to be a real challenge for federal contractors. I think the takeaway, I just don't want you to focus only on your contractor obligations. I think that one of the complications that all of these layerings create is we're going to have a series of lawsuits. They're already being formed. Some are already being ready to be filed on the day that this becomes an effective uh, rule, and we'll see how it happens. All right. So, Nito, what are the next steps? What should contractors be doing today as they look at all these developments piling up? Well, the first thing they need to do, I believe, is figure out who in their employees' population is already vaccinated and go ahead and get that information together. And then, as uh, Bert mentioned, you need to figure out how you're going to maintain that information because it is considered medical record. It's a medical record under the ADA, as EEOC has previously stated. And so I think that's really the number one thing so that you have a count of how many people are already vaccinated and for whom you don't have to worry. Well, Nita, you know, I'm glad you mentioned uh, the medical data because I think one of the things contractors have to do right away is to start examining the reasonable accommodation process, both for medical and perhaps even more controversially for the religious exemption. There is not a lot of guidance. There's not a lot of law. And it's something that uh, everybody should put their uh, thinking caps on right away. 
I agree with that. And I think the other thing that I'm looking for is those FAR clauses uh, that they've indicated we're going to be issuing in mid-February. Those are the federal acquisition regulations. This is going to be the actual language that those 50,000 contracting officers are going to start putting into companies' federal contracts. Obviously, the contractual obligations, the language will matter. And this isn't just a lawyer quibble. It's really defining with specificity how all of these new obligations that have been laid out by the president and the task force uh, guidance are now going to be implemented in our new contracts. So a lot, a lot going on on that. All righty. Well, hopefully we've clarified a few things. This issue is one that we're going to be staying on top of and revisiting in future podcasts. Nita Burt, thanks both. Really good discussion today. Pleasure to be here. Thanks, David. Thanks, everyone. We look forward to the next update. For those that would like to connect with any of the lawyers from Fortney Scott, please reach out to them directly by visiting FortneyScott.com. On the website, you can also listen to previous podcast episodes, as well as pick up your copy of the DC Insider Report and sign up for future updates. Thanks so much for listening.